and um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Uh, honestly, I don't know how deep into this message we're going to get. I think we're going to go until, uh, don't mean to sound super spiritual, but just until it's time to, to stop, and we'll probably, Lord willing, pick it up next week. Um, but what we're wanting to talk about is, in a sense, is leadership. Um, every single one of you, whether you are aware of it or not, are called to leadership in so much as leadership means influencing others. How do I get that? Matthew 28, 20, right before Jesus ascends into heaven after completing his ministry, dying on the cross, resurrecting, he tells the church to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, disciples meaning just simply a follower of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now, that idea of making disciples, teaching other people to, to do and to live in what Jesus has taught you, is simply this. Another way of saying it is you follow Jesus and you help others to follow him. Can you do that without some kind of leadership or influence? And if this is the call to the entire church, this is something that all of us need to grow in is leadership and influence. And I am concerned that we think of the call in church sometimes as that person who's gone through Bible school or seminary, has a degree, preaches, you know, it's those types of people who actually are called. I'm just, you know, supposed to become a Christian and kind of go to church and, uh, and maybe I'll serve in some areas. And the main thing is I get to go to heaven when I die. That's like the all-consuming main thing. And in fact, God has, through his son Jesus, purchased a way for all those who place their faith in the son to become sons and daughters of God with an inheritance and a calling every bit as much as the Apostle Paul had, every bit as much as Moses or Abraham or Jeremiah. You, my friends, are called. Called specifically to this. Make disciples, but can I say it this way? To find your place of partnership with the church to help build the church that God is building. You have a role. You think I've got a microphone, therefore I'm the one with the role. You're as called as I am. And if we're going to fulfill in our lifetime the call that God has given us, we need to grow up in leadership. So it may seem a little bit strange this morning, but we're going to be looking at leadership qualifications. Why? Because it's those things that the Scripture maps out as qualifications for leadership that are applicable to every person. It's just if you carry an office of leadership like eldership, you have to have these things in your life. If you're wanting to walk in your calling, and maybe you're not called to be an elder or called to stand in an office, you still need to have these. Do you follow? Is that making sense? So I'm going to skip over that for time's sake. But let, let me pray. Let's pray. Can we pray? Let's, thanks, Rodney. And uh, that we, we, as you probably have been able to tell this morning, we don't go through motions. Let's just sincerely right now turn our hearts to the Lord. I want to encourage and even challenge 
all of us in this room, to allow the Lord to stir his calling in us, that we would not be satisfied just to kind of eck out an existence in this world, hoping that Jesus kind of helps us to the finish line, but that we would lift our gaze to him and to hear the call and respond. So Lord, we do just ask you for that right now. Lord, we want to just acknowledge in this room right now, you are worthy. We want to thank you for what you did for us, Jesus. That you bore, you took our sin and the punishment of our sin upon yourself so that we could have what you have, sonship. That we could become part of the family of God. We just want to thank you for that right now, Jesus. And Lord, we want to also declare, because of who you are and what you've done, we know you are worthy of it all. Where else are we going to turn, Jesus? You, you are the one with the design for our lives, the plan. And we look to you and we ask that you would stir in us this morning that your call in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Like I said, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're just going to look at these first two verses. Honestly, I don't even know if we're going to finish two verses. That's, that's amazing. Uh, but the first thing that we want to look at, again, does everybody understand? When we talk about leadership, we are not necessarily talking about an office or a position. How many of you know leadership is way more than a position and a title? And in fact, if you're not carrying influence and carrying the responsibility, why have the position or the title? And so we're talking about growing in leadership, which means influencing others. And the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that leadership is a broad invitation to everybody. Check this out. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. If any man... This is a faithful saying. If a man, I'm reading from the New King James, desires a position of bishop... He desires a good thing or a good work. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. This is a faithful saying. If a man, the original language, of course, the New Testament being written in Greek, says, actually, it could be translated this way, whosoever, or if any, or if any man, so the, the invitation here is broad, and I think that we sometimes get that, get that wrong. In fact, um, when in the early 2000s, when I was perhaps, uh, you know, closer to, to, to fresh out of college with Travis, and I was in a church, and uh, there was this, you know, there was a very uh, distinct separation of those who were elders and the rest of the people. And, uh, and it was like, um, I, I, and, and, and because of the call on my life, I desired to be an elder, but it was almost like my dirty little secret. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I ought not desire that. Like, that's just, you know, lusting for power or something or authority and prestige, and I, I shouldn't, you know, do that. Who, who am I to? And, and, and I came to discover over a period of years that the Scripture has a very different approach the scripture is not saying you stand back until God the Father says it's okay. The scripture says, come on, come on. I'm calling sons and daughters to take responsibility and find their place in the building of my church. Come on. If any man, 
come, whosoever, if any, come and de desire, which is the second point, is that leadership, hear this, operates, functions through desire. Uh, if I can say it another way, your influence, your call does not operate by you just being so given to Jesus that you're willing to do this ministry thing, you're willing to take on this, you know, let's take me for an example. I, you know, me leading a church, I'm not, and all this stuff that goes with leading a church <laughs> and planting a church, if you didn't know, it's not easy. I'm not doing that because I want to show Jesus how much I love him. So I'm even willing to, like, go plant a church for you, Jesus. The reality is Jesus puts desires in your heart that fuel you, give you fuel to do what otherwise you would not be able to sustain. There is something that happens that is absolutely amazing, and I want it for all of us in this room, to have that thing of the divine call of God ignited in your heart that lifts your gaze from simply getting through the month and getting through this year to seeing something that Jesus has ordained from before the foundations of the world, his call, his purpose for his people to be a glorious church and for you to run with that. And, and when you see it in the eyes of your heart, it's, it's all there is to live for. If any man desires the office of a bishop, it operates by desire. Philippians, Paul says, it is God who works in you both to will or to want and to do of his good pleasure. God doesn't just want you to do things for him. He wants you to want what he wants with him that fuels the doing. And so you lead by desire. I remember for me, uh, it, kind of where that journey began for me at the end of my freshman year in college, before I met this young man, uh, I was uh, at the, we were in a campus ministry and at the very end, of, it was like the last meeting that we had for the year, there was this prophetic uh, senior girl, her name was Dee Dee, and I remember she had this prophetic word about like what God wanted to do in the campus, and something ignited in my heart. And I went home that summer and uh, just spent time praying, praying over what God wanted to do on the campus. And as I began to pray over that, my heart started getting gripped with God's purpose for the Georgia Southern University campus. And uh, it became a passion, not because I was so spiritual, because God started to grip my heart as I opened up in prayer. My point, and then when I went back to the campus the following year, my sophomore year, I was full of faith for God wanting to move on the campus. And you know what happened during those years? And Tr Travis can testify of this. God did move through a, a group of college kids who otherwise didn't know what they were doing. I mean, people got saved. People got filled with the Holy Spirit. People got called. Amaz a beautiful community of faith was formed. Amazing things that I never even dreamed of doing happened. Why? Because God started putting desires, for me at least, in my heart for what he wanted to do. Let me ask you a question. Are you praying about what God wants to do through Border City Church? Are you praying about what God's wanting to do in the city of Detroit? Are you praying about, God, what do you want you to do in my family, in my neighborhood, in my school? Uh, just begin to be that link that God has on the earth 
that we, what he wants in heaven has home in the heart of a human here on earth so that he can move through you. And let me warn you. Can I warn you now? What he's going to put in your heart is going to be so far exceeding beyond what you can ask or think or do. But somehow you're going to have a faith in your heart that God can do it if I just believe and make myself available. Guys, I'm calling the calling out of you. There's a calling in your life. Let's, let's position ourselves for this. I want to see every person in this room fulfill your calling. Be a part. It says, if a man desires a position of a bishop, it operates through desire. But let me just quickly say this. If a man desires the position of a bishop, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and I don't want to get too heady and theological and boring to you, but just quickly, just let me say this. It is my understanding that the word bishop there is interchangeable with elder. Everybody, or most of you probably know, I'm an elder in the church. Rodney here is, is as of today, the other, another elder. There will be other elders. I would love it if there are people in this room who become elders in the church to lead. What is an elder? It, here's the thing. An elder are we, is, is the, the big shots, right? That's what an elder is, right? So <laughs> let, me, let me say, in most churches, and I'm not trying to be critical, but in most church paradigms, the concept of leadership is a, up, is a pyramid with the elders or the bishops or the pastor or whatever at the top. And they're the ones who have, you know, they represent God to you. And they've got the authority to tell you what to do. That, sadly, that is the idea, is this top-down hierarchical power structure. Whereas what Jesus modeled is actually a sideways pyramid where leadership is not above its lateral plane along with all the other fallible humans but running out in front chasing hard after Jesus going wherever he wants to go and saying to the rest come on follow me I want to teach you some things not because I've got anything together I'm following the the, the, the the glorious one Jesus let me let me show you Jesus he's amazing don't look at me look at him but I'm running hard. Can you follow me? That's what it is. Can I say this about leadership? True leadership in the kingdom is not desiring to get the church to submit to them. It is daring the church to outrun me. And can I say that to everyone in this room this morning? That's our heart. I want to see you outrun me. My job is completed when you are, when I can get out of this job. Not because I don't like it, but because that's God's purpose is to ignite something of the vision that God has given me in you so that you can see what I see and run and outrun me. Go for it. I'm happy. Come on. Let's do this. And so if any man desires the position of a bishop, I believe that this thing of bishop, actually, bishop is interchangeable with elder. And, uh, uh, yeah, if you want to look at Acts chapter 20, Maybe just trust me. <laughs> I, I won't go and I'll, I'll quickly say it because I've started and you can't, you can't stop now. Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to a group of elders in the city of Ephesus. And he's talking to them about being elders. And while he says that to presbyteros, the Greek word that means elder, he says that God has made them episkopos, which translated would mean bishop. And if either, either... Paul got confused and started saying, uh, I, I, uh, trying to talk to the elders, but accidentally calling them bishops, or it's just two different terms meaning the same thing. 
And then in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he greets the elders, or excuse me, the bishops and the deacons. Either Paul was upset with the bishops, I mean the elders, and he just didn't even want to mention them in the greeting, or they're the same people. You follow? So when we look at this passage here, qualifications for elders, why I'm laboring this point is to say that elders are leading out in front the local church. And the qualifications of these elders are therefore simply what has to be in place for people who are more spiritually developed to help other people in the church to, to, to become more spiritually developed. It does not matter, can I say, that if you have a Bible degree, if you've gone to seminary, it doesn't matter if you are an amazing preacher. It doesn't matter if you're able to gather a huge crowd of people who all want to be a part of what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you are gifted with the, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit and you've seen signs, wonders, and miracles. What matters for leaders, whether you have a position or you're just influencing others, is the stuff that we're about to look at. And you and I, how many of you have ever been frustrated with church before? If you don't raise your hand, it's because you haven't been in church. And, and half of the problems with church, no, I would say more than that. The vast majority of the problems in church stem mostly with issues having to do with leadership. The amazing thing is we love to point out the problems in the church. We love to complain about problems in church. We love to have that be, become the excuse that we are no longer in church because of all the things that we've seen wrong in church. And yet we don't want to lift a finger to change the situation. And if we want to change that situation, I'd say we get on with building healthy leaders and having a healthy leadership culture. Some of you are sitting here wondering, why am I talking about this? Because I'm not called to be a leader. And I want to say it again. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're called to influence your family, your neighborhood, your coworkers. You are. And we need a healthy church leadership culture. And so let's look into what the scripture gives us as a means of developing a healthy church leadership culture. True uh, let's, leadership, firstly, is about sacrificial responsibility. Let's look at that same verse again. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work, not a good title. And frankly, and I don't mean to, to make fun of, but dude, like, what's up with the titles in church, man? Like, apostolic bishop, pastor, doctor, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, having, I'm not wanting to disrespect, but I, I, in some cases, I'm feeling like this might be a little bit of a covering up for our own insecurities and making ourselves feel like a big dog. We don't need to be made to feel like a big dog. You know why I feel like a big dog? Because the Son of God hung on a cross for me. <laughs> that makes me important to him. I don't need a position or a title. That alone satisfies everything. It should satisfy the same for you. But leadership, for those who are going to start influencing other human beings, which is a pretty audacious concept if you understand your own sin and fallibility, that we would be used of God to influence others for God, even when we have a sin nature. But, but because God, by his grace, calls us to do this, we need to understand that it is a good work. It's not a great title or a position or prestige or power. It's work. 
Let me put it this way. If you've had children, you're great. You know, Justin's great. We've got a visual illustration right here. You had children, it sounds wonderful to have babies and kids and look at my, my, my quiver is full of children. Well, you know what takes to have wonderful kids? You've got to change some diapers, y'all. You, you've, got to, you've got to be sitting in church embarrassed because your kids are making, making noise. And, and you're totally cool with that, by the way. None of us are bothered at all. You've got to do work is what I'm getting at. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And let me just point this out. If you and I, in the course of our week, are not doing work related to the call of God, that is probably because there is a lack of desire. Desire births babies and it's work. Desire gives birth to work. And if you're not working, it's probably because you don't have a desire. And if you don't have a desire, I'm going to say one of two problems probably. Connection with Jesus or a mentality, a wrong way of thinking about you being able to have a call. Sometimes our concept that it's the bishop guy, it's the superstar guy, they're the one with the call, I just need to get Jesus to help me through the week. That very mindset keeps us from hearing Jesus of his high call for our lives. But sometimes it's because we're not even looking to Jesus. And if that's the case that you're not even looking to Jesus, can I say today's message is not you, bad person. You need to look to Jesus. It is, to, it is Jesus as you see what he's done for you. That is what is going to cause you to have a heart set ablaze for him. It's not you being so spiritual and so good. But I, I, but I would say to ask the question, if I'm not really working in the kingdom, which is it? Is it that I'm not connected with Jesus? Or maybe do I have a wrong way of thinking about calling? Do I not really believe that I even can be called? Let's look at uh, the second verse. We're going to look at some of the qualifications for just a minute. Uh, but while we, before we do that, I just want to say this. Leading and influencing people with the gospel for Jesus stems from truly following Jesus. Let me cut right through all the religious crud that we have in our thinking that excuses why we're not actually involved in ministry. You ready for it? Jesus says this, follow me. You can probably finish the, the rest of the sentence. And I will make you fishers of men. If we are not fishing for men, it would suggest we aren't really following Jesus. I didn't say we're not praying. I didn't say we're not reading the Bible. I didn't say we're not going to church. I didn't say we're not tithing. I, didn't say, I said following. He, his voice is, he's still alive. And my sheep, Jesus says, know my voice. That's how we follow him. Seeking the voice of the king and following him. You do that, guess what's going to happen as an automatic result? Fishing for men. Influencing people. You're, you're called to do that, my friend. So let's look, at, let's look at some leadership issues here. A bishop. Bishop being interchangeable, I believe, with elder. If you believe a bishop is a different title, you're still at home here. I don't really care. <laughs> but 
A bishop must be blameless. Verse 2, 1 Timothy 3.2. Must be blameless. Now that Greek word for blameless would mean, it, 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 well, let me say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean perfect. A bishop then must be perfect. If it means that, then Rodney and I have problems this morning. It doesn't mean perfect. What it means is above reproach. Your translation may actually say that. Let me kind of say what I believe is the heart of this. And please hear this because I'm calling out leadership and influence from your life this morning. Please hear this. This has to do with your calling. Being above reproach is about caring more about your witness, how you're able to witness to others, than about your rights or your comforts. Caring more about your witness. Let me give you an example. The guy who leads the NCMI team that this church partners with, the apostolic team we partner with, Tyron Daniel, who is, you know, in our church world, if there was to be a big shot guy, it would be him. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the most loving, sacrificial leader that I have in my life. And you know what he does? He refuses to ever be found alone with a woman that is not his wife. Now that can become awkward. Does the Bible say that you can't ever be alone with a opposite sex? No. But why does Tyron do that? He does not want there to ever, ever possibly be a possibility that somebody could accuse him or say that he did something inappropriate in a realm where no one else saw what he did. So if Granny is the only one to, 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 to pick up Tyron from the airport when he arrives, and it's just Granny and Tyron getting in the car, he's going to have to say, I'm sorry, I've got an Uber. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's above reproach. Now, I'm not saying that you need to do that. That's extreme, and Tyron's extreme, and thank God he is. What I'm saying is, do you even think that way? Do you even think about your witness to the people that God perhaps is calling you to influence? Perhaps are you even thinking that God has called you to influence people? When you go into work, is it just that annoying secretary there and that boss that I hate? And that, or is it harvest field? And I am called to be an agent of Jesus into this place. If, it, if the latter is the case, you've got to start thinking, what could ruin my witness? Now you start to understand why gossiping at the breakfast, or the, the, the little breakout room or whatever, I don't know what you do, this snacks, you have a honey bun with, with coffee or at snack time, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing like a Ford auto, let's just get back to the scripture. <laughs> Lord help me. Are you even thinking and living like a leader? Wondering, is this decision I'm making or is this behavior I'm exhibiting going to impact my ability to influence for the gospel? I'm not saying you need to be perfect. People need to see that you're not perfect. But they also need to trust your character. They need to be influenced and, and inspired by your behavior. Does your behavior outside of church disqualify your witness? How many of y'all seen that in church? Praise the Lord, brother. It's good to be here on Sunday morning. And then it's F this and S that on Monday at work. Okay, maybe y'all haven't ever seen that before. 
a bishop, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, there are three options with what he means by this, the husband of one wife. One would be that he's saying that a bishop shouldn't be a polygamist, meaning uh, to have married multiple wives. Well, the problem with that is that culture that he's speaking into in Ephesus, who, where, where the person that was the recipient of this letter was living, that was not a polygamist culture. So why would that be like something Paul's trying to address? I don't think it's polygamy is the issue. On the other hand, some people have said that an elder or a bishop has to be married. Make sure he's married to one wife. Well, I got a problem with that because Paul himself, the one who wrote this, wasn't married. And equally, that would have excluded Jesus from being an elder in local church. So I'm kind of doubting that's the case. I think the issue here is marriage, divorce. Let an elder be the husband of one wife. In other words, the importance of marriage when it comes to leadership. Now, I just want to quickly say the New Testament takes marriage seriously. Why? Because God takes covenant super seriously. And can I say that marriage, contrary to our popular cultural belief, is not as awesome as my wife is. It is not primarily because I'm so snowed with Minda and she's the girl of my dreams for the rest of my life. Marriage is primarily an opportunity for me to walk with Jesus and be conformed into his image as I make adjustments in my life to prefer another person. You follow? Primarily. I'm not saying there's not feelings and wonderful other things about marriage, right, Minda? I mean, God knows she can say that about me. I mean. <laughs> Ronnie says all kind of things. <laughs> That's more, more accurate. But check this out. Just hear me out here. And I'm not trying to bring a heavy or condemn anybody, but we do, as the people of God, need to know what Scripture says about marriage. Marriage, uh, in, in Scripture, wives are... Uh, provided an opportunity to leave a husband only to leave a husband uh, in cases other than sexual uh, adultery like uh, infidelity if it's not that a, a wife can only leave a husband according to scripture if she's if she is uh, committing to not marry again the issue is when you make covenant that is for the rest of your life so if you're going to leave fine but you're not you're, you can't marry again that is what the scripture says. If you don't believe me, that's, second, that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Meanwhile, husbands who are called to lead this thing called marriage have no open door to leave their wives, according to scripture, other than infidelity. That's the only reason, because if the wife, uh, infidelity, of course, is breaking covenant, and if the wife breaks covenant for you, then the covenant's broken. You can leave. That is serious business, am I right? Well, why, why am I bothering to say that? Because in breaking covenant, the practice of what happens when you break covenant in the realm of marriage, it comes from a pattern in your life 
that if you're going to, to compromise on things like that, you're not going to carry the weight of God's call for your life without also shirking that responsibility. Because let me tell you, the call that God has for you is going to be beyond what you can do. It's going to stretch you. It's wonderful, but it's going to stretch you beyond what you're naturally able to do. And if, if, you, if you depart from responsibility when the going gets tough, you will not be faithful with the call. God wants his church led by leaders who are going to stay when the going gets tough. He wants his flock protected. That is why this is in the scripture. Make sure, before you ordain an elder, Paul is saying to Timothy, make sure they're, they're a husband with one wife. That they're not, they're, they don't have a pattern in their lives of leaving that which they have committed themselves to carry for the rest of their lives. You following? So I just want to ask this, or say this, that your calling requires sacrificial commitment to Jesus. And can I also say that my commitment to my wife, Minda, and Minda, I'm sure, knows my heart when I say this. It, it has, in the end, and she could, I know, say the same with me, my faithfulness and my commitment to her, in the end, has had much less to do with my love and feelings for Minda than it has my love and even my feelings for Jesus. Those moments where I have to forgive, those moments where I need to rise up and lead and, and servant lead, when I don't feel, it's not because, but I just look at her and think, oh my gosh, no. And I do have those, thing, those feelings for Minda, you know what I'm saying? But that's not what has gotten us through storms. It's our love for Jesus. And the, re the reason I'm saying that is because it is the same thing that's going to get you through your calling. It's not your love for your calling, it's not your love for people. It's going to be your love for Jesus. Clinging on to him in the storm. It sounds scary. It's the greatest thing that you'll ever experience, and even while it is scary. <laughs> I'll just, you know what? I'm just going to do uh, a little bit more, and then we're going to stop and pray. But uh, a bishop then must be temperate and sober-minded. Sober, sober-minded, sober that would mean uh, circumspect, not given to excess. Uh, it would be moderate or tempered. It basically would mean this, that you're not given to excess, and ultimately the, the whole point of this, being that a, that a leader needs to be temperate and sober-minded, is that a leader needs to be led by the Spirit and not led by the compulsions of the flesh. It's pretty simple. So I just want to ask ourselves the question, when we're feeling like, you know what, a couple more drink glasses of wine wouldn't be a problem, are we giving ourselves to that? Wine, by the way, biblically is not a wine, beer, whatever. Alcohol, nowhere does the scripture condemn alcohol, but it does say that we shouldn't be intoxicated. That's the work of the flesh. So are we, do we, do we kind of go a little too far with things like that? Or how about binge-watching Netflix? John David back there and me, that would be our vice. I can put on some sweatpants and spend two days watching Netflix if opportunity provides itself. But that's probably not a good way of maintaining spiritual sharpness <laughs> and being able to lead others. 
Sorry to throw you under the bus there, John David. <laughs> it just comes to the territory when you're the son of the pastor. And then finally, we're just going to stop here. Actually, you know what? I'll just hit these two things and then we'll, then we'll quit. Of good behavior. That means well-behaved, just so you know. That is not talking about being a good, a good church boy or a good church girl and being a conformist. Uh, be, why do I say that? Because Jesus was not that. Jesus wasn't a conformist. Jesus was wild and untamed. And I would want to say to you, join me in being wild and untamed uh, in following Jesus. It's not about that, but it is meaning that your behavior is good. And the whole point is that if you're going to lead, you need to be respectable or respected. And are you living your lives in a way that is respectable and are you respected by people? That's, that is imperative to be able to have influence. And then lastly, I just want to say this. To me, this is huge. And I know you're saying, lastly, why is it lastly? You're not even done with first two. Well, we're going to stop here and we'll pick it up next week. But is hospitable or given to hospitality. I, I just want to point out, guys, the script, remember the leadership paradigm, the pyramid? It's not top-down leadership. Leadership is out front. Remember that? If leadership is out front, and we're talking about qualifications for leadership, the Bible suggests that hospitality is so important that you can't be an elder without having it. What does that say about God's purpose for the church? That if leaders are out front modeling how you should live, that would suggest the whole church that Jesus is building is one of hospitality. And what is hospitality? It is loving guests. Hospitality is, according to the Strong's Concordance, it is given to guests. Can I quickly say this as we close? I know you've been kind of patient here. Let me just say this. Homes, showing hospitality, homes were the setting of Jesus making his first disciples. You'll find that in John chapter 1. Homes were the setting where he reached his disciples' sphere of influence according to Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Homes were, is where Jesus sent his disciples to reach other groups of people. You'll find that in Luke chapter 10. Homes is where he had his church begin in a home, according to Acts chapter 1. Homes, are you following, seeing a pattern here? Are what the first church, church continued to meet in after they began growing, and they, and they started. That's in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Homes is where Gentiles were first reached with the gospel. We see that in Acts chapter 10. Homes are how some entire regions were opened up for the gospel. You'll see that in Acts chapter 16 in two different places. And then homes are where many churches met, and I have too many references to even mention here to talk about that throughout the New Testament. My point, my friends, is can you see how important, regardless of what we've thought church to be, the big church and the, all this, this stuff and the smoke and the whatever, I'm not against any of it, but as far as Jesus is concerned in the Bible, homes are central to the spread of the gospel. It is central to the true church that Jesus is building because what he's building is a family. He's building authentic relationship and reality. And that happens across the table. And for there to be homes where people are being reached, there needs to be people showing hospitality. And so I just want to end the, asking this, and we'll pick it up, as I said later. Is your home open for God to use?
And can I ask ourselves this question as well? Are we, are we showing hospitality through, for this church, our food and faith involvement? Even if it's not in your own home, just being there, being present, or just being a part of community group. Being a part of this thing that Jesus is building in the way of hospitality is so important. Can we pray?